This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 91 of the Dressage Radio Show, brought to you with the generous support of Kentucky Performance Products and Equestrian Collections. Hello, I'm Chris Stafford, and on the show this week, we hear from Richard Davison on the progress and prospects of British dressage. And joining me in the co-host chair from Wellington, Florida, is Mary Lauritsen. Hi, Mary. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Are you enjoying the Florida climate now? You're getting used to it? Oh, I'm, I'm getting too used to it. <laughs> I, I'm so happy to be here, be away from the cold, and the horses are really enjoying it, and every moment's been great. Good, good. Now, you're down there for several more months, weeks, I should say, aren't you, till the end of March, beginning of April? Yes, that's right. We'll have one last show finishing up the season here, and we'll be leaving shortly after that, the first week of April. When is your first show, Mary? Well, I just made a decision today after speaking with my trainer, and it looks like I'm going to be going uh, to the wellington classic two competition which i believe is the second weekend of march so we've got a little bit of time terrific yeah yeah just still got a few days to to uh do your homework get get ready oh, all, yeah. it's all about the training right yes and there's <laughs> lots of homework to be done <laughs> <laughs> well you know talking about uh, getting their training right uh, your friend and our colleague here on the horse radio network's dressage radio show heather blitz uh, done remarkably well again she's just won yet another uh, pre saint george with paragon um they won on 70.614 down there at the uh, classic uh, spring dressage wellington classic spring dressage uh, competition uh, last week, previous week, and uh, I believe the conditions were absolutely awful. Mary, did you go over to the Jim Brandon Arena? Well, I had I headed over there on Sunday when it had really cleared up, but I was hearing left and right from everybody um, in the dressage community down here how terrible <laughs> it really was. And I mean, it, it was yucky weather, lots of rain and overcast, and not a of course. That always happens during a horse show, so it had to happen that weekend. Yes, I believe it, it really was very, very bad. So much so that a number of people withdrew from the I-1 the following day, including Heather saving her horse for another day. And, of course, the World Dressage Masters will be taking place down there, the Palm Beach uh, version of, the, that, that, of that, round, that round of the um, WDM Masters World Dressage Masters uh, competition, um, that series that starts in Europe, comes over here just once, and that's going to be March 9th to the 11th at uh, the, the Jim Brandon Arena down there in Wellington. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know, I just hope they don't have bad weather, Mary, because uh, they certainly don't want those sloppy conditions for something like uh, the World Dressage Masters. Oh, certainly. And uh, luckily, the the crew there at Jim Brandon always does an exceptional job, and they've got that great covered arena. So hopefully, hopefully things will stay well for them. Yes, absolutely. Well, we should mention that we've heard of the five European entries. Um, actually, sorry, I'm six European entries coming over from Europe for this uh, World Dressage Masters. That's going to be uh, Tina Wilhelmsen from Sweden, Anne van Holst from Denmark, 
Michael Rapowitz from Poland, Valentina Truppa from Italy, Anja Plotz from Germany, and Crystal Larikas from the Netherlands. So a nice little turnout there, coming to enjoy some Florida sunshine. Uh, as part of, you know, all of those venues are just lovely venues from that series, and it's picked up quite a reputation. It's the, the place to the go-to. I think you know, it, it generates such a great sort of public to the to the WDM. I, did you go last year, uh, the last time it was there, Mary, last year down I there? I did. Yes, I did. It was a great venue. They had it at the West Showgrounds, which was exciting. And, I mean, just to have such a great show here on U.S. soil was um, really nice. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great event. I'm, I'm happy it's coming back again. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to make it. When I was, uh, I have a conflict of dates. I have to be down in Florida doing a live broadcast from the Red Hills Horse Trials that same weekend for the eventing radio show, uh, which is a, it's a shame. It, you know, as you say, we only have it once a year. That's, the, that's what happens, isn't it? Conflict of dates, what can you do? Can't be there. Yeah. Can't be in two places. But, uh, you know, we've got uh, news from uh, the U.S. Equestrian Federation that they're going to be sending quite a few riders over to Europe this uh, summer and not least of all the under 25 some young riders are going over to compete in Arken which uh, will be a wonderful experience including amongst those is Caroline Rothman from Wellington Florida I know a friend of yours she's uh, going to be heading over there she's had some experience already and um, at the Grand Prix level of course and it'd be a wonderful experience uh, to be part of that uh, competition have you ever been to Aachen it really is a festival, um, and it is called, of course, the festival, but it is a terrific uh, competition. Have you ever been, Mary? Yes, I, I attended a WEG at Aachen um, in 2006, and you're right. Uh, it's it an incredible place, and this is such an exciting opportunity that um, these doors are being opened to young riders. It's nice, and we want to see more of this. Yes, certainly. It, it really is terrific, as you say, terrific experience there. And when you get there to the World Equestrian Festival, you can also see driving, eventing, jumping and vaulting. And, you know, there's, there's so much goes on there. It's really jam-packed uh, from morning till evening and late into the evening. A lot of tradition, too. And so anybody that has the opportunity to go to Ark, and I suggest you take it just for the experience if you only go once. Um, but uh, as I said, the USEF will be sending competitors for uh, for the different disciplines, too but also for that under-25 group. So good luck to them. And, uh, uh, you know, we will follow that, of course, here on the Dressage Radio Show, bring you the results from Aachen later in the year. Well, we're going to take a short break to hear from our friends at Equestrian Collections, and then we're going to hear from our guest this week, Richard Davison. For over a year now, we've been telling you about all the cool things happening at Equestrian Collections and the variety and selection of products they have at fantastic prices. But today, we want to talk to you a little bit about their social networking and what a community they have built on Facebook. If you go to Facebook and search for Equestrian Collections, you're going to find that over 20,000 fans are now following Equestrian Collections on Facebook. And, And the reason is they have a dynamic community built over there. You know, on uh, most store sites, most company sites on Facebook will just promote product and things like that. That's not what happens on Equestrian Collections. Yeah, there's a little bit of that, but mostly it's the community sharing pictures, talking about stories, asking questions of each other. It's an active, vibrant community, like a little forum right there on Facebook. Search for Equestrian Collections on Facebook or stop over to equestriancollections.com for 
all of your horse and rider needs. Well, Richard Davidson is well known, of course, on, in British dressage for his role um, as the high performance uh, manager, managing the team there. And, uh, of course, an experienced competitor himself. I've known Richard a very long time. And uh, this was the first time that he's been on the show. And so I'm looking forward to sharing, you, sharing with you the conversation I had with Richard about the uh, progress and the prospects of British dressage, which uh, is very, very impressive. So uh, let's get Richard on the line. Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Well, thanks, Chris, and it's good to hear from you again. Well, absolutely. It's been a while, as as they say, and uh, you have been continually active, of course, in the sport as a competitor, and um, you have many, many hats to wear for British dressage. So I want to talk about a few of those, Richard, because... In the last year's decade or so, we've seen an increase in in strength and depth in the British team, which is absolutely fantastic, of course. As an expat, I'm bound to say that, aren't I? <laughs> well, I'd like to think so, yeah. <laughs> Good to hear you saying it, too. <laughs> um, well, let's start with that, Richard, because... You know, obviously, medals are all important. We're leading up to another Olympic year. You've got the European Championships this year as well. Let's take a um, a view of the the horses and riders you've got in front of you and how you feel we've got to the point, or or Britain has got to the point now in the sport with the strength that it has to take on the rest of the European giants. Well, as you say, uh, Chris, we have got a strong contingent, of, uh, a strong squad. Uh, I'm sure I'm very pleased to say, leading up, you know, to the, to the Europeans and hopefully to the Olympics. Um, my job, actually, when you ask about my job in British dressage, I actually work for World Class, and World Class is our lottery-funded organisation. It, it covers all uh, Olympic sports, and you know, it's great that it obviously encompasses equestrian too. Um, so my job is what they they call the performance manager. Um, so Yogi Breisner, for instance, does the eventing uh, management, and Rob Hurst does show jumping, and and uh, so they're my counterparts in the other disciplines. But I'm actually called um, well, I don't know whether it's a grand title or not. It's a strange title. I'm called the team captain because um, because obviously I'm I ride, and I'm um, hoping that my horse, his example, is going to be ready for the team. So that's my title, but um, but it, in principle, my job is to is to strengthen the squads. I'm not just talking about the team, the four members of the team or the three of the Olympic. I'm talking about the depth of the squad um, and and to keep raising the bar uh, for those riders in that squad, and also to co- coordinate and communicate all the all the support staff. So it's an extensive responsibility now. So do you go around scouting uh, for talent, you know, as part of that responsibility, building up to team selection? Um, Yes and no. I'm not a selector. Um, Actually, it's a great job because it suits me perfectly because I'm I'm an absolute master at delegation. (laughs) And, um, uh, you know, once you've mastered that, it's great because all you've got to do is make sure everybody else is doing their job. (laughs) And they understand Um, that you're delegating. uh, Yeah, that's right. And um, so I'm not a selector. That's the the first thing. It's very important because obviously, you know, riding and managing a squad, there are potential areas of conflict and they have to be addressed and and very transparent and and managed. So um, 
uh, how do we spot the potential? That's, uh, I'm going to try and keep this simple, but we've got the, the top squad, which is called performance squad, and that is basically made up of horse and rider combinations which are ready to um, basically perform at a championship at, at different levels. Um, and then we have something called an equine pathway squad, which is the young horse talent. And we also have a development squad, which is a horse rider, young, uh, well, under 30s, really, develop, developing them through. The thing is that, um, obviously, uh, when I took over the top squad, the championship riders, for instance, um, I wanted to remove the subjectivity uh, and the opinion-based uh, side of it because, you know, riding in that squad myself, obviously, I, I, I felt it must be very transparent and fair. So we have, um, at, at the moment, we have a 70% barrier. So if you wanted to get onto that um, championship squad, the performance squad, you have to ha score at the CDI three-star upwards 70% on two occasions. And you can do that in the Grand Prix, and now you could do it in the Grand Prix special because... As you know, the, the formula is going to change the Olympics, so I wanted to bring the special into that. So we've got that sort of 70% bar, and that's really helped to raise the standards. In terms of spotting younger horses, which maybe you want to talk about later, um, that's a different uh, section, really. And um, we, we hold a viewing days for people that have, think they've got horses that, that have got the talents for, for Grand Prix, uh, at an early stage so we can help them develop that. And, and I get riders over from Europe, Hans, Peter Minderhout and so on and so forth to, to help and bring a, an independent eye for that. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that, Richard, because what what is obviously looking at Great Britain and the growth of the sport and how successful it's been on national as the national squad, uh, collecting medals left and right, it has to start somewhere. It has to start with your ground base, with with the production of young horses. Who who has uh, developed this program, and how how does it actually work to spot these young horses, as you just described? I mean, the whole thing would be people are often asking, "Why are we where we are?" And and the, everything is really a gradual evolution. And Chris, you've watched it over as many years, or almost as many years as maybe me. Um, um, so uh, it is a gradual evolution, and even bringing the young horse um, squad into into our world class uh, program uh, was a, was a next stage development. And as much as we knew the established horse rider combinations, but we said, you know, what's the wastage rate that we've got out there? Where you've got potential Grand Prix horses, but maybe not in, um, when I say in the uh, best hands, I mean in, under the management or the training of them. So Will Connell, who is our performance director um, and, and, and my boss, if you like, he, he, I remember him sitting down in Arkan actually some years ago saying we've got to bring, bring a, a horse pathway in and, and that's what our equine pathway does. And, um, I mean, we run quite a tough criteria with that. Um, that is, we say we're looking for horses that can already demonstrate uh, the talent that is required and the aptitude that is required for the higher levels of Grand Prix. So it's very different from, for instance, the World Horse Breeding Championships or mm -hmm. some of our young horse 
classes which look at the horse's walk, trot, canter, and its rideability, and so on and so forth. Because if you look at Grand Prix horses, which is really what we're focused on, because that's what championship medals start from. Um, if you if you look at the famous ones, they maybe haven't all had a fantastic walk, trot, and canter. Um, uh, or, or that maybe they've had a very hot temperament, which wouldn't make them great candidates to be very successful in these young horse classes. So they, they're not terribly helpful to me, the young horse classes. I've got to see horses that, that you could imagine can really PF and passage in a few years' time or sit and do canter pirouettes. So, so we have to have kind of these viewing days, and we've got to keep educating people as to what the sort of qualities of a young Grand Prix horse look like. Um, and that's where we're going with that. Well, what is, I think, also an interesting aspect of that, I mean, it's one thing to spot the horse talent, of course, but it's another thing to watch the growth of British dressage in terms of rider talent as well, Richard. And when you look back on the last 10, 15, 20 years and beyond that, we used to think of Russia and, and Switzerland as, as you know leading dressage nations that have not come to the fore in recent years. We've seen the decline of Russian dressage, for example, when it very often used to have medalists on their team. When you reflect on those in the past sort of 10, 20 years, can you identify any defining milestones in terms of the growth of talent that are team-worthy? I don't think I can identify exact milestones. I can only see this gradual development. And I think that uh, if you look back to when... Well, I think the dressage world has become a much smaller place, like the world itself. And actually, in in your program, going out to so many countries helps that world become smaller. But in terms of Great Britain, once it started to get more riders into more European uh, high-level dressage shows, that's when we really started to learn. And I like to think about it, if it's a product, we're getting it into into the open market and... Um, once you get into the open market, it can be a bit frightening because you, you don't start at the top. You generally start at the bottom and you work your way up. And I think over the last 20, 25 years, our riders have got into these shows. Um, they've been immersed, uh, immersed in the, uh, the, the different levels of international dressage competitions, and they've come back and they've learned from it. And our, more importantly, our professional riders who help other people have done exactly the same thing. And I think that's really, in terms of rider and trainer expertise, um, I think that's really been the biggest single help um, to overall standards, uh, you know, the the sort of getting us to to where we are now. Because it isn't just riding ability. It isn't just what happens in the arena. It's the ability to understand what to look for, you know, in these good horses and also how to manage them and, and, and keep them sound and keep them healthy and keep them fresh in their minds that they want to deliver the goods in the arena. Which do you think has come first, Richard? Has it been the international success and the development internationally of, of heroes, if you like, in British dressage that young riders aspire to? Or has it been the growth in interest in grassroots of young people to get into the sport as opposed to going into eventing or jumping? 
Well, that's a very interesting question, actually. And I'm inclined to say the latter, actually. Um, generally speaking, you know, dressage itself is, you don't need to sell dressage anymore. I mean, 25 years ago, when I used to go out to, to dinner, to dinner parties, I'm talking about a non-horsey uh, sort of uh, dinner party, for instance, and people say, what do you do? I, I never used to start off by saying I'm a dressage rider, so I ride horses. And they'd say, oh, are you a jockey or a show jumper? And I'd say, well, no, I, I, you know, I, I do this thing called dressage. And, you know, that's sort of where you go around in circles. And they'd say, oh, you know, fine. Now I can say I'm a dressage rider. And, and the ordinary folk know what that is in, in Great yes. Britain. And um, that, so dressage itself, you know, for all sorts of reasons, has really shot to popularity. And I think that's where, where we've gone to in, in uh, British dressage, in the, in the population there. And people have learned the fascination of it. You know, it's great training an animal and schooling an animal, and and they enjoy doing that. And of course, some people are motivated by getting the ribbons on the bridle. Um, some people are more motivated by the training and use the ribbons as a bit of a uh, you know assessment to where they've got. Um, but that's where I think it's really got to. And and I may be wrong in this, but your first. Uh, scenario you gave me, you know, is it because they were heroes and we were, you know, I don't think the British people work like that. We're really bad at promoting our own heroes and <laughs> uh, putting them on the top. We tend to do it the other way around, really. Um, so, no, I think it's really got because people have, have, have really learned what dressage is all about. It's not doing fancy tricks or, you know, a best turnout competition, which is what they used to think it was. <laughs> it's about training a horse and developing a horse and, um, um, you know, that's where we've got to. Well, looking at the talent that you have, your your current team, of course, from, from WEG, you have to be filled with confidence going into the European Championships and, of course, the London Olympic Games in 2012. Do you feel already there is a certain expectation now that you're building and a pressure on the British team you know, to get on top of that podium or, 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 or at least stay as high as they can. Get on the podium is one thing, um, but are there higher expectations now simply because of the continuing rise in standards and performance of the British team? Well, you have hit the nail right on the head there. Yes, there is a huge expectation. And... Um, London will be my fifth Olympics, uh, written in three, and then I was... You're not that old, uh, Richard. No, no, I started when I was about four, I think. Very, Um, very early, yeah. Before there was an age requirement in the Olympic Games. Yeah, totally, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I'm only, you know, mid-twenties now, as you know. Quite. So, um, yeah, so, but the thing what I was going to say is that this Olympics will be uh, like no other Olympics I've known. Because, A, um, it's on our home soil, and we are going into it, as you said, with an expectation of medals thrown upon us. And um, I I think that is actually going to be very tough. And we've already, we started a year out within World Class discussing how to manage that, you know, manage that expectation put on by the media um, and everybody else. what I think is that, like everything, as a rider and the team, will just have to concentrate and go in and do their own performance. You can't suddenly conjure up anything, and if you try to, it won't work. Uh, but in terms of 
um, kind of putting the shutters down and uh, or the, the blinkers on, if you like, so you stay focused. I think that's going to be our biggest challenge. And, and as I said, one that we've already started to address. Then it's no good. Of course, everybody knows that we've got an absolutely world-class combination with, with Laura Becklesteiner and Mr. Horace. And, but it, we cannot just rely on that horse carrying the major part of the percentage score to win us a medal. And my focus is on bringing up that back line. It, it's like a military operation, and we've got to have enough troops in that back line that, that we keep raising the bar, you know, I mentioned at the beginning that we have a bar to get into world class of with 70%. The reality is I'm looking out for our rides to be pushing up to bringing home 72% results in International Grand Prix so that there isn't so much for our big star to do uh, or that we build a contingency in that, you know, if they have a bad day uh, or not such a good day, we're still up there in, with, with a chance. Well, you talk about those uh, the, the, those baselines there, of course, and, and we have to mention Laura Bechtelsheimer, Carl Hester, Maria Alberg, Fiona Bill, Bigwood, obviously all team members last year at the Alltech yeah. FEI World Equestrian Games. It is somewhat comparable to the situation here in the States in that we have Stefan Peters and Ravel as our hero, uh, but they can't be the whole team and so it's a very similar Absolutely. and and of yes. course uh, of course i know that u.s is one of your biggest threats so i won't rub that in too much uh well don't worry <laughs> we're working on that <laughs> but, but i'm not going to reveal our secret weapon <laughs> of course not of course not um, but turn, let's turn to uh, this year and and the, and the horses and riders that you're uh, preparing you mentioned as part of the expectation that's put upon the British team now and leading up to the London Olympics, um, that you, you are already working on that expectation to cope with it. Do you use uh, sports psychology for the riders? Yeah, we, we, within our world-class team, uh, let me just to go through it briefly, obviously we have the veterinary side, we have you know, our, our team vet, but he has a number of vets on, under him. We have, our, so we have the human sports science and medicine uh, backup and the equine. And within the human side, um, you know, we have physios and, and dietitians and so on and so forth, and we, we also have psychology support as well. And what we've learned is that um, the psychology side there isn't uh, one psychologist, a one-size-fits-all. Um, different riders have different needs and actually different styles of psychological support. Um, and so we, we supply, if you like, a, a choice. We, it's our policy now that we've learned uh, we're not going to take a psychologist with us to major championships. We've tried both systems. Um, so uh, the psychologist doesn't accompany us to championships, but yes, we have, we do have a psychological side. I mean, of course, you know, uh, you can think what you like of various psychologists, but psychology underpins and determines all our behaviour and our choices, and of course, it's it's absolutely critical. Do you have a, a strategy then for the team um, and for, for prospective members uh, vying for selection for the spring and the summer season leading up to the Europeans and then beyond? Is, is, the, is the plan like so many others, you know, leading, is it quadrennial leading up to the Games? Uh, Richard, where you've got a series of competitions that 
prospective can uh, uh, riders for the team would be expected to perform? Yeah, absolutely. We don't have um, selection trials in England per se for that top squad because, um, like I said earlier, we need those riders not to prove against each other. That's probably been the, the biggest thing. That when, when obviously I've been in the job a, a long time, so I've seen all sorts of systems. But but um, if you want to get onto the the British team, you have to prove that you have already been successful against the top combinations around the world. That's very different to how when I started off, and you remember it over here, that you actually had to prove that you were amongst the best four in Great Britain. For for me, that is completely uninteresting. Uh, We need to be comparing ourselves against the, the top combinations that are taking part in the sport. So I need those riders not in a selection trial over here competing against each other, which I know would be very popular uh, and has benefits too, but you can only compete Grand Prix horses so many times in a year and especially at a key time leading up to the championship. So um, our selection policy, which is quite a a document, um, you can find it on the British Dressage website, but, but more important, the strategy, which is agreed with riders and selectors, is to get those riders out in, in those competitions um, in Europe. And some of those competitions are actually earmarked, if you like, for practice uh, competitions, for, for team competitions. So they, we would insist that their championship groom comes, for instance, for the grooms, even though it may not be a team competition, the grooms interact with the other grooms and we already get a working uh, relationship going on in the stables and we, we take out our world-class support team staff and set farrier and so on and so forth. So everybody, by the time they get to a championship, is used to the environment of being on the British team and understands the ethos of the difference between competing for yourself uh, and competing for a team. And, and in, within a working environment, there is a difference there. Um, so yeah, we, we do, obviously my job is all about strategies and plans and, um, you know, and, and, and making them work and making them practical. Well, it's going to be a busy year, obviously leading up to the Europeans and then, uh, then of course the London Olympic games, very exciting times for British dressage and, and also for yourself, Richard, tell us about your horsepower now and what your plans are. Well, I've got this Westphalian horse, Hiscox Artemis, which was bought actually specifically for the London Olympics. And and I found him from Easy Strata, who who you know Mm -hmm. well, and is a great um, finder of these these good horses. And um, uh, he's he's doing a great job. My plan with with him was just to get going with him and smooth things off at Grand Prix. And last year, 2010, I basically stuck to smaller CDI three stars, and he had a fantastic record. I think he won something like 13 or 14 CDI classes of three stars and Grand Prix and things. But, you know, at the lower level. And um, uh, lots of people wondered why I didn't uh, bring him to WEG and put him forward because he was returning 70% results. But I felt he wasn't quite mature enough mentally as much as anything else. Um, and... Uh, I've really worked on that, and and he's really come through it this winter, not without his ups and downs, like every horse, I might say. But for instance, um, in 
Amsterdam uh, a couple of weeks ago. You know, he he, he got seventy one percent in the Grand Prix and seventy seven in the in the World Cup. So he's he, I've moved him up to this five star level, and you know I'm certainly hoping that he will be ready for the Europeans and the Olympics. You know, next year, and um, I mean, I'm really enjoying developing him. And what else do you have in the tack right now? Uh, in the in for for me personally, yes. In the stables, but I also have uh, lots of other horses. Actually, I have a really, really super five-year-old, uh, which belongs to Gwendolyn Mayer, who owns, who lives in the states, actually, um, and has jumping stable uh, there. And she owned, and her mother owned Balazair Royale, which you may remember I mm-hmm. rode in the Athens Olympics. And after the, the Athens Olympics, you know, I discussed with Gwendolyn. I thought the mayor had really reached her peak. Incidentally, she was the, uh, related to Blue Horse Matinee, the grey horse. Oh, yes. Uh, on, the, on the mother's side. And um, so I said to Gwendolyn, I think, you know, she's reached a peak. So, so we, we brought this breeding plan in. And um, this first horse is called Bubbling. He's by Ling. Um, and he's out of Balazé Royale. So here's my hope for Rio. Um, so I'm planning ahead. Um, so you, you won't be getting rid of me just yet, I hope, anyway. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> well, that's terrific that you've got some prospects for the next games, and uh, we wish you all the very best of luck with that, Richard. I hope you'll come back on the show and uh, bring us an update, uh, probably after the Europeans, when you've uh, got medals hanging around your riders' necks again. Uh, well, it'd be nice to think so. I'm not being complacent about it. I might say, but yeah, but I'd love, I'd love to come back on the on the show, and uh, you know, it, it's great to sort of chat to everybody around the world. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us this week, Richard. Okay, thank you, Chris. Well, our thanks again to Richard. Great to catch up with him. And uh, I have to say, you know, as an expat, it's remarkable, Mary, watching the the British dressage take off the way that it has in the last sort of 20 years or so and and now it's obviously formidable they they're uh, even showing the germans the way who would have thought that yeah i know it's very exciting and uh it'll be great to see what happens in at the olympics as well yes yes and as richard said you know a lot of pressure on them of course to to do great things at the Olympics. And uh, this year they have the European Championships, of course, to contend with um, first. And so uh, it's all happening over there and uh, we wish them all well. And I'll have, uh, of course, get Richard back on the show here in, in the future and bring us an update on British dressage. Well, let's hear from Kentucky Performance Products. And before we get to Mary's tip of the week... Hi everyone, Glenn the Geek here. Kentucky Performance Products has become a favorite of many listeners of the Horse Radio Network. They have a product that we want you to consider called Contribute. Take a listen to episode 14 of the Tack and Habit radio show, and you will hear a complete discussion on this product with Delia from Kentucky Performance Products. Contribute is the omega-3 fatty acid supplement that is so important to your horse's well-being. Contribute helps maintain soundness and longevity by protecting joints from damaging inflammation and sustains a strong immune response in horses of all ages. Learn all about omega-3 and 6 fatty acids and why they are so important by listening in at TackAndHabit.com, episode 14, or go to KPPUSA.com for more information. That's KPPUSA.com. Well, Mary, as a, as a, still a, just a young rider, you'll soon be an old-timer, won't you? <laughs> how, how many more weeks and months have you got to go? 
Oh, my birthday's on April 2nd. Oh. The big 22. The big 22. (laughs) (laughs) April 2nd. You know, I I don't envy anyone who has a birthday on April 1st. Oh, yes. I was almost a April Fool's joke. My birth. (laughs) Well, as a young rider, obviously, you're very observant and very aware of you know, the opportunities that are available to young riders. So I think you've got uh, some updates there on what you're seeing while you've been down in Florida. Yeah. Um, well, my tip of the week is about young rider opportunities at large. And there are many events, be it pizza parties, clinics, relaxed get-togethers, or education sessions that are being put on by young rider advocates or large organizations like the USDF or USEF And these things go on, and while some attend, many miss out on these opportunities. And having competed first as an intimidated junior rider on a very unreliable hunter pony, then as an FEI junior for three years, and most recently as a young rider for the last two, I have witnessed and partaken in many of these programs. I can't tell you how many times I have watched the same scenario play out with young riders who say they want to attend a particular event or say they want to make it to the top of the sport, but do not follow through on these ambitions. And I feel there are many youth programs that are taking place, especially throughout the competition season in all regions. And in past years, I've I've seen that these events, which at first may have seemed intimidating or perhaps elitist, well, much of this has vanished. And because of this positive change, the doors to these events are more open than ever and welcoming to young riders of all ages and abilities. It just takes a little courage and will for young riders who are stepping into the competitive dressage arena to get in the know network, which is perhaps the most important thing to do, and to learn. So my advice to young riders and those who teach, mentor, or aid them Don't be afraid to approach other young riders. In fact, many of us FEI young riders are more than happy to lend a hand and give some advice. It's not only the job of the young rider, but of the trainers, coaches, and parents to be in the loop and to encourage their riders to get out there and take advantage of these opportunities. Not only do I encourage other young riders, FEI or not, to speak with their peers, but just some easy online research on your local GMO website or the USDF and USEF sites will open up your eyes to what is really out there. You're only a young rider once, so ride it for all it's worth. That's great advice, Mary. And, and as you say, the, the opportunities are abundant. And, you know, there's so much to be learned from just watching, isn't there? There is. And I can say that uh, this past weekend was no exception when um, I was given an invitation and other young riders um, here in the south of Florida uh, were given an email invitation from Lyndon Gray to attend a wonderful opportunity um, at the CDI from last weekend with Ann Gribbins, who was offering commentary to uh, uh, during the uh, I-1 freestyles. And that was something that, I, I mean, I'm kind of at loss for words for that. I, I learned so much within that one hour of the freestyles and took so much home that I can apply to my riding and hopefully share with others. And things like this are happening all the time. So I I really, really want to see more young riders getting out there and taking advantage of these opportunities while they're still there. Absolutely. Great advice. And uh, you heard it there from from Mary. You can always contact Mary. And uh, if you just send me an email, I'll make sure that she gets that. If you have any questions at all about what Mary shares with you here on the Dressage Radio Show, just send me an email, chris at horseradionetwork.com, and I'll make sure Mary gets it. And... uh, 
And thank you, as always, Mary, for sharing these valuable tips each week. Of course. I love to share them. All right. Well, we want to uh, remind you that there are so many ways that you can listen to the Horse Radio Network, all the wonderful shows that we have here on the network, and here's one of them. Hi all, Glenn the Geek here, and we are excited to bring you a special offer for Horse Radio Network listeners from one of my favorite companies, and that is Audible.com. Audible.com is the premier provider of digital audiobooks. Audible has over 85,000 titles to choose from in every genre. Thrillers, business, romance, comedy, sci-fi, sports, and so much more. Audible titles play on your iPhone, your Kindle, your Android, or more than 500 different devices that you can listen anytime, anywhere. My wife and I love Audible books. We've been a member of Audible since 2004 and have listened to over 100 books uh, with Audible. What horse person, you know, who has time as a horse person to sit down and to read a book anymore? Yet, I found the time to listen to books on Audible. When I'm not listening to podcasts while I'm riding, cleaning stalls, or at the gym, or driving, I'm listening to Audible books. And for the listeners of the Horse Radio Network, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 14-day trial to give you a chance to check out their service. All you have to do is go to audibletrial.com slash hrn. That's audibletrial.com slash HRN for Horse Radio Network. And you can download your free audiobook and get your 14-day free trial today. If you can't remember that, just check out our website and you'll find a link to it right there. Enjoy your book. We know you will. And finally, check out this handy app iPhone app. You know, Mary, I'm really into iPhone apps, and this one is really super duper. I don't know if you've come across it yet, where you can create, study, and even animate your test at EquiSketch. Have you come across it? I sure have. When (laughs) I got my iPhone, one of the first things I did was search dressage apps. At first, there really weren't very many out there, but I downloaded EquiSketch, and that is the coolest thing. It certainly is. So go to... uh, your iTunes and look for EquiSketch and uh, and play around with that little app. It's a fun little app. As I said, you can either create, you can study tests, and you can animate your tests. So uh, try that out. And I am delighted to tell you that uh, well, we're going to be welcoming we're going to be welcoming EquiSketch as a new sponsor of the show, starting with next week's episode. So looking forward to that. And finally, anyone who's been or going to Thermal for the dressage shows over there, and if you would like to bring us a report here on the show, we would love to hear from you. If you've competed or you've been over there to watch or watch watch someone else or just as a spectator, um, let us know, and uh, we would love to have a report from the competitions over there on the West Coast. So just send me an email, chris at horseradionetwork.com. Don't forget you can check out all our show notes at dressageradio.com. And you can follow Mary at on Twitter at Mary Dressage or me at Chris E. Stafford or Horse Radio. Well, that just about wraps it up, Mary. So what are you, what are you going to be doing now um, between now and your competition? Do, what are you doing when you're not riding and in the barn? Do you, I mean, do you have time oh. to go out to other competitions and watch? Oh, yes. Definitely make time to do that because there is so much to see and learn and it's all very close. Um, but... I can't really say I ever get away from the barn because we're living in an apartment that's attached to the barn. Oh. <laughs> so I'm always surrounded by the horses, but it's a great thing, you know, just enjoying this beautiful weather, um, 
taking advantage again of all the opportunities, dressage opportunities, and occasionally hitting the beach or going into West Palm and doing a little bit of shopping, whatever, whatever I can on <laughs> days <laughs> off. So it's, there's a lot to do down here. Well, you're right in the thick of it there, so I'm sure you're enjoying every minute of it. Certainly, yeah. Well, great, Mary. We'll come back and see us again really soon, won't you? Yes, of course. And good luck with your first competition. Well, that wraps, it up. that wraps it up for us here on the Dressage Radio Show this week. I will, of course, be back same time, same place next week. So until then... Thank you all for listening. And don't forget, it doesn't matter how young or old you are, your health and welfare is important to everyone around you. So do the right thing and wear your helmet.